Today we're continuing our series as, as the video played behind me, God on Film, where we're journeying through the Sermon on the Mount and we're kind of looking at some of these modern day movies or TV shows as kind of parables to illuminate um, this passage of Scripture. And so today we're going to deal with an issue um, that we justify far too often. You do it, I do it. We all justify our actions when our emotions are our guide. Throughout history, the the pendulum has swung back and forth on this. Um, During the Enlightenment period, um, emotions were not a good thing. Feelings were not a good thing, and they were pushed down, and they gave way to logic or reason, and and they gave way to thinking and doing everything in an orderly fashion, and they were thought of as weak, so they were pushed away. However, our culture has kind of flipped that on its head and reversed it completely. We all hear it and we give into it and we're taught that really anything that curbs our emotions um, keeps us from really who we are or who we're supposed to be. We're taught that our emotions are supposed to be our guide, our barometer in our relationships, that emotions are what we should live our life by. Don't believe me? Check out this song and tell me what you think. You might recognize it. Yeah, okay. What, well, okay, that's one song. What about um, this song? You might, hopefully this one will be stuck in, in your head the rest of the day. I'm just trying to get these songs stuck in your head. Snow glows white on the mountain tonight, not a footprint to be seen. A kingdom of isolation. Some of you really want to sing it right now. Well, see, the the these songs, you know, they're not they're good songs, but each one of these songs has several lines that's really it's altered um, our view on emotions and really how they affect our relationships. Whether it's the song in, in happy, happy and it says happiness is the truth. Or the let it go lyrics, I won't sing it for you, but they go something like this. Um, don't let them in, don't let them see. Be the good girl you always had to be. Conceal, don't feel, don't let them know. Well, now they know, so just let it go. Let it go. Can't hold back anymore, just let it go. And just let your emotions go. Put yourself out there. My proposal today is that our emotions left unchecked by Scripture will ultimately destroy us. My proposal today is that the truth is more real than how you feel. See, I think Jesus knew this. And when he he sat down on the mountainside, when he went to go teach on the Sermon on the Mount, um, he started off by giving us a, a vision or a picture of what eternity in the kingdom of God will look like in the Beatitudes. And then, so he then goes on and he outlines our purpose, how we're going to get there and what we're supposed to do as being salt and light when we embrace him. He gives us a vision worth pursuing, a noble cause. But then he throws us a curveball and kind of says, oh yeah, this law stuff, this Old Testament, all these 600 plus laws, it's still good. And oh yeah, your righteousness 
must exceed to actually get into heaven. You've got to be perfect. Your standing before God has to be perfect in order to get into heaven. And where he leaves us to transition into this week is he said, For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees who kept every single law, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. I can just imagine uh, Jesus saying that and everyone's eyes getting real big. Um, like, did he really just say that? We got to be better than them and they're like perfect. What is in the world is Jesus doing? He's going to scare off a bunch of people by saying that. See, Jesus is driving everything back to himself. If we don't understand that at this point in the sermon, Jesus is going to continuously point back to him. We're going to miss the point. We're not going to understand the big picture. Everything that follows comes through the lens in the person of Jesus. So as he gets ready to say what's next, I can just kind of see him looking at some of his disciples James and John, the the son of thunder, Simon the zealot, saying, You have heard it was said to our ancestors, Do not murder, and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Fool, will be subject to the Sanhedrin, the highest court in the land. But whoever says, you moron, will be subject to the hellfire. So around Jesus are his disciples and a crowd and probably all good Jewish men who probably haven't murdered anyone and who think righteousness is merely keeping the law. They don't take anger seriously. And if we're honest, we don't take anger all that seriously either. We embrace it as natural to have negative feelings towards another person as just part of life, as something we have to deal with. And the problem with anger, when we look at it, is what we're angry about is usually not sin and justice, but we're angry about someone or something that laid an offense to ourselves. We get angry when we personally get offended or hurt. We let our ego drive our emotions rather than eternal truths. Jesus condemns this ego anger. Ego anger is this contempt, this hate for others that breeds bitterness. It's the anger when you're slighted, when you're frustrated, at wit's end, about to blow up with someone who's done something to you, to harm you, to harm your self-image, to harm your reality, your identity. It's that feeling that you get when you, like, you just can't stand a person, when you can't bear to be in the same room as them because they just drive you crazy. Maybe it's for no apparent reason, but you just get frustrated he condemns ego anger jesus does by saying eternal ramifications are at stake because ego anger doesn't exist into eternity love lasts into eternity 
So Jesus, knowing this, starts out by quoting the Old Testament, probably Exodus chapter 20, verses 13, or Deuteronomy 5, verse 17. And so the people around him, they knew the law, just as we probably know the Ten Commandments, say, yep, murder is, is one of them, we're not supposed to do that. The, the people, they know the 600 laws and the other passages that talk about relationships within God's chosen people. See, these laws around murder were designed to protect, protect a deepened sense of worth and sanctity of human life. To preserve community. Not as a checklist of, okay, good, I didn't murder, but to preserve that of human life. Jesus takes this contempt for others very seriously. And see this contempt that, that is in us that usually means you wish something harmful on someone, that they weren't alive, even if you just really wouldn't take action. Jesus condemns our sinful and broken hearts when they hold contempt for others. Jesus says the truth is more real than how you feel. See, the truth is that we're made in God's image. And murder is the elimination of one of God's precious creatures, created in His image. And the truth is that murder starts in the heart. It's letting anger drive your control panel that runs your life. The truth is that ego, ego anger lashes out and causes harm. It causes judgment and condemnation. It rips apart the people of God and the kingdom of God. The truth is that when you hate in your heart, you'll end up separated from God because one day we will be judged. And if our righteousness doesn't match that of Jesus, we're not getting in. After two references to kids' movies, I can't think of a better movie today than to talk about than Inside Out. Now, I'm not going to ruin the movie if you haven't seen it yet, but I, I will advise you to go see it. This is one that I would recommend. Inside Out is, is really well done. I'm not going to ruin it for you today, but it's basically about a girl named Riley. And Riley is born to loving parents, but along with her is her emotions. First joy, then sadness, then bitterness, or not bitterness, disgust, fear, and then anger. And these emotions work and live in headquarters, a.k.a. HQ. It's part of Riley's brain, and it helps her experience feelings and make memories. And Joy is the leader of the group, the leader of the emotions, and this group of emotions, fear, anger, disgust, joy, sadness, they help her grow up. They run the control panel in her brain. And they help her through experiences when she's a toddler and experiences broccoli for the first time. And she goes, ick, ooh, gross, get that away from me. Or um, when she scores her first hockey goal and she's consumed with joy and happiness. But everything changes when 11-year-old Riley gets some interesting news. Her and her parents are going to move from Minnesota to San Francisco after her dad gets a new job. And so Riley is struggling like probably every 11-year-old girl would 
trying to cope with the new house, the new school, her parents' increased stress level, and things get out of control in her brain and HQ. The emotions start to go awry. And sadness and joy, they tussle over Riley's core memories who make her who she is and end up getting sucked into long-term memory, which is way far away in the brain. The plot of the movie essentially asks, can joy and sadness make it back to HQ and attempt to get Riley back in touch with all her emotions and feelings? And so the movie goes on and it unpacks that. And what I love about this movie, especially if you have kids, is it presents emotions and feelings as valid. Emotions are valid. Feelings are extremely valid. And these emotions in Riley's head, they work together in her life. But the one emotion never has control for too long of the control panel. But for many of us, We have let anger in our life drive our lives for way too long. It comes out in our perceptions of people. It comes out in our relationships with others. It comes out in our words, maybe maybe written or sent or said. I love what Jesus says because it really challenges what goes on up here in our HQ, in our control panel. And what comes out, not merely in our hands and physical acts, but as much of what it goes on in here and through our lips, maybe even through our fingers. Anger starts in the control panel. It comes out in our words. And the longer ego anger goes unchecked, the harder it is to embrace reconciliation. And without reconciliation and forgiveness in our lives, we won't enter heaven. Jesus condemns ego anger because ego anger doesn't exist in eternity. Love lasts into eternity. See, anger is one of our emotions. We have it. We have to deal with it. But love lasts into eternity, and love is not an emotion, but a choice that funnels the emotions that we have towards selflessness. True love And our life means fellowship with other people. And fellowship or that true friendship, being able to stand being in the same room with someone, means reconciliation. And Riley with her emotions solely at the helm, with no voice of truth in her life, almost causes her destruction. So right now, I just want you to look at your HQ. Are you aware if you're someone who lashes out in anger, someone who lets anger boil in their mind or speaks those words of wrath, said or written. Ultimately, we can't control our anger. We have it. We have to deal with it. And unless us as Christians understand that our purpose is restoration and reconciliation in this world, And our message and ministry have to match that up of Jesus Christ. We won't get how to handle our emotions. Our purpose is restoration and reconciliation. And our message and our ministry and our lives have to match up to that of Jesus Christ. So Jesus shows us what real righteousness is all about. 
and the disciples couldn't, and we can't achieve real righteousness without Jesus. Real righteousness is the only way to get into eternity. And as I look into, out into this room, I'm going to guess, I'm going to take a big step and assume something. I'm going to assume that most of us would think that murder is wrong. That most of us, when we think of murder, we're not okay with someone intentionally killing someone else. But, so when we read this passage, we don't quite understand why Jesus would compare anger with murder. Mainly because, again, anger is an emotion we all have. So what's the parallel? What's the connection? So we usually come to a conclusion when we read this passage. That either Jesus wants us to realize that there is more to righteousness than outward action, physically harming someone, or he wants us to save face with the people around us and is worried about our self-image. And because of that, we're supposed to try really hard and control our anger. Or, because we have it, let's just give up, cash it in, just let it go, and pass on the hope of Jesus. But both of those two latter options still put us in the driver's seat of our life. We're still in control of our own control panel. So when we bottle up our anger, our hate, our contempt for other people, we know that it's eventually going to come out. And the disciples hearing Jesus' words, they wrestled with it. Because see, in their eyes, just like many of our eyes, whatever legal standing we, help, we hold, we, we see that as our personal righteousness before God. We look at ourselves with anger or bitterness or contempt in our heart and we'll say, well, I'm a good person. I don't act out on my anger like that person or blow up with that person while it's inside of us or I haven't actually killed anyone so I'm all right we think our righteousness is determined by how we view ourselves or how we feel about ourselves instead of how God sees us just because we haven't done something doesn't mean we haven't wished it and the disciples after being with Jesus for about two plus years, we're now realizing that real righteousness was way more than outward actions and perceptions. And only through Jesus can anger be properly dealt with. Because if we try to do this on our own power, we're going to fall right back into the trap of trying to live by the law and be righteous by our own judgment. See, we have a tendency to control and try to work harder rather than surrender. The first step this morning, if we're going to make anywhere in the progress of this issue in our lives and of our hearts, we have to turn the control panel of our lives to the one who gave you the control panel in the first place. And that's Jesus. We have to surrender it to him. Step away from the control panel and give it to him. What's real interesting is sledgehammers are uh, really cool things. I don't know. It's really cool holding one up here on stage. Some of you might be worried I'm going to like throw it at you or something like that. Band people are getting worried. Kyle's going to be swinging this around, break something. Um, it is small, so you can thank Tim Curtis for that. He did bring me a small sledgehammer. So if you, you want to make fun of the size, please 
take that up with him. Um, but thank you, Tim. Um, so sledgehammers are really cool. Um, they're very helpful. And from my limited understanding, they can really be used in one of two ways. They can be used to destroy things and break things and smash things and bust things. And as I look around at all this expensive equipment up here. Um, or they, they can be used for beneficial things, to clear away rubble or debris, to, to pound a stake into place, to be used for productive or helpful things. See, and often our anger is like a, is like a sledgehammer. That when we get our ego hurt, we start swinging with our hands and it starts going everywhere. We lash out. We swing to destroy with our words and our minds to tear people down. And Jesus, he would have us use it for productive things, to build things, to maybe clear away rubble or debris. But what's interesting is, like a sledgehammer, our anger cannot be funneled on its own. We can try really hard to control our anger, but oftentimes it won't work. Like this hammer, sometimes when we swing it, we miss the mark. And things still break and crumble, even when we have good intentions. Maybe it's we're angry about Social justice issues, like babies in Uganda not having food or formula. So we get angry that there's injustice in the world, and we, that's a noble cause. Or maybe you're upset or angry about the recent Supreme Court ruling. But see, like a sledgehammer, when we swing it or whenever we try to wield it, we crush things or break things. And anger without Christ crushes people. Anger without Christ crushes people. Christ shows us what we really should seek. Should seek when we swing this hammer or sledgehammer of anger. When we aim it at noble causes, we need to make sure we understand what Christ would seek. Because apart from Christ, when we lash out when we get angry, when we try to wield it by our own strength and our powers, our anger crushes people. See, real righteousness seeks radical reconciliation. Jesus knows how humanity works. He knows that when we get angry, we don't deal with it well. We let it stew or we become bitter or we explode. And when we experience things, our Experiences with people become perverted or twisted because anger is running that control panel. And Jesus, knowing this, he gives us two scenarios in Matthew chapter 5 of application. So he says this in verses 23 through 26. So if you're offering your gift on the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift in the front of the altar First, go and be reconciled with your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Reach a settlement quickly with your adversary while you're on the way with him, or your adversary will hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer, and you will be thrown into prison. I assure you, 
you will never get out of there until you have paid the last penny. See, the first scenario deals with relationships when we exercise our faith. Jesus is essentially saying this. If you're willing to, to, to come to church, to sing praise songs, to listen to a sermon, to read your Bible, stop doing these religious acts while you neglect God's ultimate act of reconciliation. You're not reconciled if you put a fake face on when you're around certain people and you can't stand to be in the same room. Just because you put that fake face on doesn't mean you're reconciled because, see, reconciliation, again, means that fellowship. And fellowship means love. And true love will sacrifice itself, will be selfless, and put itself out there. So go and be reconciled. The second scenario deals with relationships as we live out in the world because, as many of you know, when we go out into the world, not everyone follows Jesus' way. And this is a hard scenario. Basically, Jesus says, still go, attempt to make peace, and be reconciled. And if you don't go and do this with even people who don't have the same faith as you, it will cost you. Even if they don't want to reconcile, sin will cost you because that relationship is fractured. You'll never get out until you've paid the last penny. And when we see these scenarios, we think there's, there's, it's kind of hard to make sense of it. We throw up objections when we really begin to understand what reconciliation means. When we really understand that we have to put ourselves out there, that we have to move towards the other person, even when they may not move back towards us in an attempt to make peace and friendship. Even when we may get hurt in return, that we are supposed to put ourselves out there in love. And so we throw up objections or excuses. Well, what if, what if they hurt me? What about my family? What about my stuff, my finances? What if they, take, they do take my money when I try to reconcile? What about my stuff? And so we let fear drive us instead of the perfect love of a heavenly father who says, go be ambassadors of reconciliation because I have shown you what it truly looks like because I went to the cross and died for you. I hung there on a cross. I loved you first even when you were still sinners and hated me. I have shown you what true reconciliation looks like. And the truth is today that reconciliation is worth seeking even if it doesn't feel like you can even if it doesn't make complete sense. So I invite you today to embrace radical reconciliation. Embrace the truth that a loving father sent his son to die so that you may be brought back into the family. And that is more real than how you feel. The truth is that you have been radically reconciled through a real righteous Savior. And he makes you righteous when you step into his righteousness. Real righteousness seeks that radical reconciliation. So this morning, here's what Jesus is asking us to do. He's saying, first of all, if you've committed murder, 
if you've committed murder, if you've intentionally killed someone, you're forgiven. You're forgiven. And you can accept that forgiveness because you have a heavenly Father who sent His Son to die on a cross to pay for that sin so that you can have hope of eternity. You're forgiven. And maybe this is you if you're struggling with anger in your life. If you've had that feeling of contempt or bitterness, that hate in your heart, maybe you've lashed out in words. Jesus is inviting you to put down the sledgehammer, to repent, and surrender your emotions and your control panel by going and being radically reconciled. So that means before we go any further in the service, if there is someone out there who is angry with you, if there is someone who maybe you are angry with or have hurt, either of those two, they are angry with you or you're angry with them or have hurt them, that means before we take communion, before we give offering, before we sing any more songs, maybe you need to go make a phone call, send a text, and take that first step and say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? Can we be friends again? Can we work through this? Because ultimately, if you continue on in this worship service, if we continue to go through the motions today without going and be first reconciled, then it'll be meaningless. Our words will be empty and our hearts will be far from God. So I'm going to encourage you to step outside make a call, apologize, and ask for forgiveness. If you have any sort of anger, maybe God's putting someone on your heart or mind right now. Maybe it's just a little thing and you're like, well, that's not that big a deal. I'm going to encourage you to step out and go make it right. Don't let the ego anger in your life rule your life. The truth is today that when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you stand reconciled before your Creator. Through Christ, Let real righteousness seek radical reconciliation. And you can either go and do what I've asked you to do and build your life on rock and a firm foundation or just let it pass away and continue to build your life on sand and let it be washed away.